Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Girls Camp Podcast. I'm Haley Rawl, your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different because my dad died about a week ago. He died very suddenly, very unexpectedly of a heart attack, and he was only 54 years old. As I've been going through the grief, the processing, As you can imagine, there is a lot that comes up, a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings, a lot of insights even into religion, spirituality, Mormonism, post-Mormonism, Christianity, all of it is very intertwined when you are trying to comprehend death and the death of a loved one and the death of a parent. And I've been trying to be very very aware and gentle with myself as I work through all of this and trying to be really careful about how and when I talk about it, right? It's still very fresh for me, but for many reasons, I have found myself feeling really not even compelled, but just wanting to come on the podcast and talk about it. This podcast for me has been such a beneficial tool for vocal processing. Yeah, I was just talking to Bentley and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if it's too soon to talk about this stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. (laughs) If there's one thing I know, especially now, it's that I don't know anything, but it feels right for me and it feels good for me to be coming and talking about this now. So I'm going to and I appreciate the safety that I feel here on Girls Camp Podcast to come and talk about something incredibly tender and vulnerable. And I wanted to say that if you are listening (laughs) and you may be coming in any way from any place of judgment, I would just ask you to please not listen today. I will take your numbers. I will take your listens any other time, but I just... I'm going to be talking about something very tender and dear. And so if you are coming from any place of judgment, please move along for today and we'll catch you next week. I've also found myself feeling around my dad's death, kind of along those lines, feeling this really weird sense of, I don't know if insecurity is the right word, but just feeling like I want it to be known, obviously, how devastating this loss is and how difficult it is and feeling like maybe the way that I cope and that I process is not enough or something. I'm an interesting person. I mean, everyone's an interesting person. Everyone handles things very differently and copes very differently. But I I think that I'm much more emotional in private. And so it's been interesting to kind of navigate what this looks like as I talk to people about it or at my dad's funeral, which I'll talk about. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying that there's no right way to grieve. And so much of grief, at least for me, has happened very privately or just with my husband or with my family. I think that there feels to me almost like a sense of I need to be showing that more or something. I'm not sure. Um, But maybe someone out there relates in the sense of feeling like there's a proper way to grieve or a proper way to show grief or to honor someone in their memory from a public standpoint. And like I said, with the judgment thing, I just am trying my best to do my best and just hoping that there's no judgment around how I'm moving forward with this and how I'm choosing to share. Okay. Let's see. I feel like because I'm talking about death, which I guess I should give a trigger warning, but you probably already know I will be talking about death today and how I've been processing it and grief and loss. I also wanted to say just kind of as a, I don't know, I've been thinking it's maybe sort of nice to give a little bit of like a tone. I usually give like maybe a tone expectation around what the tone of this will be. And because death is so so tender. I just wanted to say that for me, the religious element of my dad dying and how religion, specifically Mormonism, has played a part, I have found to be in some ways 
more comforting than I expected and more of a positive thing. And it's very, very complicated and I'll get into it, but I just wanted people to know that because maybe you've experienced a death and you found it increasing your anger around religion or Mormonism, which is so valid and I don't doubt that I'll feel that way. And I have felt that way a bit, but I just wanted to say that if you feel like it maybe will be triggering to hear someone talk about it in a different way, then I just kind of wanted you to know. I am planning to just kind of talk through some of the thoughts and feelings that I've had, like I said, some of the insights, and then I want to read the speech, I guess, the remarks that I gave at my dad's funeral. It was a really lovely service, and there were so many beautiful words said about him and about his life, and I just wrote like a four-minute little thing, so it feels like a nice way to honor him a little bit more broadly by sharing that with you all, so I will share that as well. The first thing that I wanted to share here is actually the very last communication I had with my dad, which was a text message. I found out he died. It was Sunday night, and I got a call from my stepmom, which I wasn't by my phone. My stepmom called me, and I didn't see the call come through, and then she left a voicemail, and then my older sister, Megan, called me twice, and then my brother-in-law, Megan's husband, also called me twice. And it was a really interesting thing because when I looked at my phone and I saw those notifications, I was actually at Bentley's family's house for his brother Adam's birthday. I saw those calls and I knew something was wrong. And I thought to myself, I think my dad died. And I walked into the other room and called my sister back and she was crying and she said, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry, I have to tell you this, but dad had a heart attack and he died tonight. There's no way to really describe what it feels like when you find out news like that. And I'm hoping that many of you have not had to experience that or won't experience that for a long time. It's really surreal. It's so surreal how much shifts. And the best thing that I can, I don't know, I guess the one of the things that I didn't anticipate about grief and losing a loved one, I think you know it's going to be devastating and you know you're going to miss that person and grieve that person. But I feel like I got pulled into this insane time warp where time just like doesn't really exist anymore. And I think it's because something so permanent happens so suddenly and so without warning. And then when you're trying to comprehend the permanence of a loss, of the goneness of death, it's like time, the construct of time, the meaning we've given to time with like minutes and hours and days just kind of doesn't hold water to that permanence and that lastingness of death. And it's so crazy because, like I said, it's been about a week and I feel like I have lived actual lifetimes since hearing that news I also don't know where those lifetimes went. Like the days just really have blurred together and the minutes and the hours have just somehow gone by. My concept of time and like reality even permanently shifted in a way that I don't think will ever quite go back to normal. And because I lost a parent, my dad, so much earlier than anyone should, and so much earlier than I ever expected to, it has kind of like thrown me back into the past. As we were preparing for the funeral, we were looking through so many photos of my dad as a child and then as a teenager and then as a young father. I felt like I was getting to know these parts of my dad that I had never just sat and thought about. You know, my dad was a kid and a teenager and a young father, and then he was my age, and then he was older. Like, I almost feel like I've been moving in and out of all of those phases of life as I've been thinking about him and mourning him and looking through photos of him. And then, of course, just feeling myself like a child again as I think about what he means to me, what he meant to me at different stages of my life, and thinking back to the fact that he was 
you know, the first person besides my mom who met me and held me and took care of me and shaped me. It's just been really interesting to almost feel like I'm revisiting that time. And then while feeling like a child in those ways, and then a teenager, as I've reflected on our relationship as a teen and a young adult and on my mission and all these things, I've also found myself feeling so old. Like my mom hasn't lost a parent yet. You know, both my grandparents are alive. My dad, both of his parents are alive. Like I'm feeling like, oh, I'm living on this earth without a parent in a way that so many people don't have to do until they're so much older. And that makes me feel old. And just experiencing death, planning a funeral, it's just kind of like pushed me into this phase of life where I just feel old in a weird way. I was actually talking to a friend and they lost a sibling when they were very young. And I was friends with them at this time. I believe we were in middle school. And I remember attending the funeral to support my friend. And I was talking to them. We haven't had time to really get in depth about it. But I was just thinking about what that does to your brain chemistry to experience such a significant death, a death of a family member when you are so young. I can't even imagine how that changes your whole life. I don't know. Like, it's so hard to explain, but I just, I knew death would be significant because of the loss of the person, but I didn't realize how existential it would be, or at least it has been for me. And maybe some of that is because of where I'm at with religion and spirituality. I don't know if that's a common experience, but it's felt very, very existential for me. And I've been having just kind of an existential experience as I've reckoned with it. I think I started out this whole thing by saying that I wanted to share the last communication from my dad. And the reason I want to share it here, because it's obviously very special and very sacred to me, but it's about the podcast. My dad was my number one fan the number one girls camp fan from day one. He listened to every episode. He would text me almost every week and share his thoughts and share encouragement and basically just say, you're amazing, keep going. One of the things that was really special for me to hear at my dad's funeral was my stepmom. She got up and shared and she was very, very close to him. Obviously, they were married. I was not, my relationship with my dad was really complicated in the sense that because my dad experienced drug addiction and alcoholism, there was a long phase of my life where we were not very close physically because he was in rehab and he moved out of state to actually work at a rehab. The last years, like the last, I don't know, since getting home from my mission, kind of, we were close, but in a very different way. It was like closeness, but at a distance almost. And I think we had just developed a relationship where there had been so much life and so much time and so much baggage almost that in order to love each other best, it was just not a like day-to-day relationship, if that makes sense. And it's also been interesting to reckon with that piece of his death because it feels complicated because our relationship was also complicated. And I've really been trying to allow myself to let that be what it is, to let it be complicated because it just was. And it doesn't mean that there was any less love or that it's any less devastating to acknowledge that our relationship was complicated in a lot of ways. I don't feel like my dad was so much a huge presence in like my daily everyday life but he was like this ginormous presence like the presence of like the foundation of who I am and that's a really interesting thing to think through and to face after death all that to say he was a huge fan of the podcast and even before I released the podcast as I was considering doing this I just knew my dad would be proud of me and would be so happy that even if I came on this podcast, even if it was a Mormon podcast or a podcast about God knows what, he would just be really proud of me for 
doing something because he was proud of me for everything I did. And he always believed that I would do a good job of whatever I did. And he always let me know that. And I think that was a huge thing for me in being able to do the podcast, knowing that I had that love and acceptance from him and that safety from him. Because my dad had gone through so much in his life, I just knew that he never judged. He didn't have it in him to judge. He didn't. Like, he just didn't. And that gave me so much safety and so much love. Something that his wife, Starla, said at the funeral when she spoke is she said, Haley, I know how proud your dad is of you for speaking your authentic truth with the podcast. He's so proud that you are willing to speak your truth and to trust that people love you and will love you regardless. And I've been thinking so much about that and what a gift that is and how lucky I feel to be surrounded by and to have been surrounded by when my dad was alive. The kind of love that just is not conditional on what I believe And to be able to share my opinions, however contrary they may be to so many people I love and still feel loved and held, that is an immense gift. And although, yes, it's a gift, it's something that everybody should have and that I wish was not as fortunate as sometimes it seems to me to have that gift. And I've just been thinking, I guess, about how life-changing it's been for me to have that And how grateful I am that my dad saw that in me and saw in me that even though it does feel scary and it does feel like a risk sometimes to share those contrary opinions or to do things that, you know, people in your life might not love, (laughs) that he saw in me that I that I wanted to do it anyway and that I was willing to take that risk because I knew that that love was there to to catch me. That was really meaningful to hear. And I want to read the last text that my dad sent to me because, like I said, it was about the podcast as well. And I'm sorry, I feel like I'm stressing because this is already all over the place, but I'm just going to let it be. I just jotted down some thoughts last night about what I wanted to share, and those have gone way out the window since the first word I spoke on the podcast. So I'm just going to kind of be sharing as things come to mind. This was the last text exchange between my dad and I. He texted me and said, I'm listening to the episode with the sisters who met on their mission. I want to tell you that you have an amazing talent for interviewing. You actually listen and follow up and are unbelievable at making people comfortable and getting them to talk. I'm sure you have a list of questions to ask, but you'd never know that. Seriously good, Haley. Like really, really good. And I responded and I said, thank you so, so much for this. Interviewing has been so much fun for me. It was something I've never really tried before, but I really enjoy it. And it means a lot to hear that it's coming off well. And then this was the very last text he sent. He said, there are literally no limitations to what you can do with that skill. You can do whatever you want and you'll crush it. The night that he died, I got out my phone and read that last text exchange and I don't mean to overstate the meaning of the podcast in that moment, but I think that this podcast also was such a bridge between my dad and I because because of our complicatedness of our relationship, there were a lot of things that I don't know I knew how to say to him, but he was able to hear me say those things here through the podcast. And then receiving that text from him It just feels like to me now such a gift, again, to have that from my dad right before he died. It feels like now I read that as him saying, you're doing the right thing, you're on the right path, and keep going. And that's been a comfort to me because I've obviously considered as I've, you know, been handling all of this that, you know, what I want to do with my life and with the podcast, which is a big part of my life, I want to keep going because I love it so much and it means so much to me. And it feels really good to know that it means a lot to my dad too. And it feels like he, you know, was telling me and it feels like he's telling me now wherever he is, like, keep going. That feels really special and I'm really grateful for it. 
the thing is with my dad, and I've talked about this here and there on the podcast, is that he, since as long as I can remember, was never a very literal believer in Mormonism. And I think that that shaped my own path so significantly. And even outside of his beliefs, just his whole life journey really shaped and affected how I view, of course, the world and how I view religion and spirituality, too. He was a really complicated person when it came to the Mormonism thing because he was not active, hadn't been for a really long time, but he was also Mormon in some really significant ways. Like BYU football was everything to him. He watched every single game, always did, never stopped loving BYU football, for example. And he supported my sisters and I on our missions. And he, I think he, and this is one of the, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying not to frame any of this as regrets, but I was hoping to interview my dad soon on the podcast because there's a lot that I don't know for sure about what he thought and what he believed. And that's sad to me and hard for me because I wish I would have asked him And I wish we could have had more of those conversations than we did. But from what I know and what I sensed from my dad, he just, again, he had such a way of letting things be what they were and navigating his own way around beliefs and really just having his own beliefs outside of the systems and outside of the strictness and the letter of the lawness. He had kind of a hodgepodge of beliefs about things. Like I remember one time on my mission, he was emailing me. So this was when I was very believing. And he was saying that his speculation or his theory was that the Holy Ghost is Heavenly Mother. And he was just kind of sharing his thoughts with me about how he thinks that that's Heavenly Mother. That's like the female presence of God is the Holy Ghost. And just things like that, that were obviously not letter of the law doctrine, but he just felt a lot of liberty in exploring beliefs and kind of, you know, trying different things and thinking different things. And that was really lovely for me to see and to learn from. And as I've left the church, I have found a lot of comfort in the fact that I had this example of someone who just kind of figured their own thing out and found different ways to do things and to make it work and to support people, but also to stay true to themselves. But with all that said, I also think that Mormonism, with his addiction particularly, which I don't want to speak too speculatively, I don't want to speculate too much about this because I don't know for sure, but I believe that Mormonism added a lot of shame and guilt into his life that I don't know if it would have been there otherwise. And I think it could have been a layer for him of, yeah, just guilt and shame that I don't think was helpful with his addiction and even with our relationship at times. It makes me sad and it makes me frustrated and angry that there was that Mormonism layer that I think kind of served as a wedge even after I left the church. Like we never quite got to a place of like honesty or vulnerability even, which I think Mormonism in my experience was a big part of, like kind of a a wall in some ways because for so long I was such a believing Mormon and he was not doing the Mormon things. And even though I don't feel like I ever judged him for it. It just like it made things more convoluted than they probably would have been, like I said. And I wish I knew more about what Mormonism meant to him and how he related to it. And I've been asking my stepmom a lot about it. Starla, she's never been Mormon. So she only knew of Mormonism through my dad and through my family. And she's always been very respectful of all of our journeys and very supportive of my dad as well. But yeah, I've kind of just been asking her questions about what he thought. And one thing she said is she said that he still identified in a lot of ways as Mormon, but he did not respect the institution of the church, but he still connected essentially with the language of 
essentially the gospel of Christ through the Mormon lens, as I've gathered. And I think that's that's really beautiful. I think he was, in a lot of ways, a heritage Mormon, where he identified so deeply with his Mormon upbringing and with his Mormon ancestors that even though he wasn't really doing much Mormon stuff, he still identified with Mormonism in a way that I think is also really lovely. And I don't think it's how I feel necessarily. I mean, I do and I don't. I do feel like a heritage Mormon and I do obviously feel like it's a huge part of my identity and always will be. But I think I feel a little bit more need maybe to kind of push back against the system and to try and help dismantle the system in a way that I don't think he felt the need to. I think it's just been interesting to think through what the religion meant to him and and what spirituality meant to him. There's been a lot that has come up around the Mormon church because we did do a pretty typical, I would say, LDS service. And because of a number of circumstances, it was mainly my sisters and I who planned and carried out the funeral. Planning a funeral is fucking weird and also sucks. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of logistics at a time when you don't want to be dealing with work and logistics. Another part of me as a silver lining maybe, but I think there's real truth to it, is I'm grateful that I've needed to kind of just kind of get some things done and move things forward. I think it's been helpful in some ways for my brain. And I feel like I've had pockets of processing along that journey as I've needed to kind of just keep things rolling. But all that to say, as we were dealing with funeral stuff, you know, a day after we found out he died, we drove down to St. George, my siblings and I, to be with my stepmom and to help make arrangements because he died in St. George, where he's currently living. He has a plot, which he's now buried in, in Pleasant Grove, because my grandma, his mom, bought her kids grave plots for Christmas like five years ago, which is so, so Grandma Walker on brand for her, but was actually really nice to have that when he died. Anyway, we drove down to St. George and it was nice to spend time with my siblings and kind of think through things and talk through things. And then we went to the funeral home that afternoon, which I could talk forever about funeral homes and how bizarre they are and what a trip it is to be in a funeral home discussing like casket colors when you found out your dad died less than 24 hours prior. It's very strange and very surreal. We were trying to figure out where we wanted to do it. And my sister, she lives in Orem and she was like, well, maybe I can ask my ward if they would be willing to like host the funeral as wards do because my dad wasn't currently active. She spoke with her ward and we held the service in a church building. There was a bishop presiding because there has to be if you're at a church building. And the Relief Society helped provide the food. They, I mean, they provided like the luncheon afterward. We did have to pay for like part of the food, but they coordinated everything and they set it all up and they cleaned it all up. And I was just thinking about what a service that is. And being in a time, driving down to St. George, having to figure out a time and a place for a funeral, what a huge burden was lifted to be able to call the Relief Society president and say, can you help us take care of this? And they did. And it was also a little unconventional because my dad was not in that ward. The bishop had to take off work on a Friday to be there and go to the graveside with us. And that felt really really, really nice. And I'm really appreciative of that. I'm appreciative of people who didn't even know my dad, but knew Megan and were willing to show up for us in that way and provide really a huge, huge service. It was so needed and it is so appreciated. There are some catches with that. The bishop had to make remarks at the end. The bishop, the presiding person, gives the last thoughts, which is just a little silly to me because he doesn't know my dad. He doesn't know any of us, really. I mean, kind of knows Megan. It's just kind of a silly thing in my mind. But 
I don't know. It It's just interesting. Like it was such a service, but there are these little kind of like you got to play the game, right? Like there, I get it. There's like rules to you can't just use a church building because you want to. But in death, you just think maybe, you know, why do you really need a bishop to bear their testimony at the end of the meeting? I guess so. And so he did. But the thing is with the service is I'm so grateful. I'm so immensely grateful. The service was so beautiful. Everyone who spoke is an active believing member of the church except for me. My siblings spoke, my dad's siblings, and my grandpa. But it just wasn't about that. It was about my dad. And everyone just shared about him and how they felt about him and stories about him. There was talk about, you know, maybe where he is now and thoughts about hoping to see him again. But in a very hopeful sense, I found it very hopeful and very beautiful. And it wasn't like, okay, let's read some scriptures about the plan of salvation and think about exactly where his soul is now. Like, it didn't feel like that at all. It just felt like people coming together to share how they felt about my dad and to share kind of how they're processing. And part of that processing is inevitably spiritual, right? Where does his spirit go? Where does his soul go? How do we make sense of death of someone that we all loved so dearly? In that way, I was surprised by how the religious element, because of what I just said, I almost found it comforting. I was telling Bentley this as we were driving between the service and the... um graveside, like dedicating the grave and whatnot. And I said, I've actually found it really comforting to know that there is a difference in beliefs amongst all of us close to my dad who are grieving. It felt really comforting and it didn't feel like, oh, you're all wrong and you believe in this fairy tale because no one was like, it's fine, we'll see him again. Like there was a real processing of grief, which I'm grateful for again. But it felt comforting because I feel like in times like this, I found myself feeling grateful that like not everybody thinks what I do because I'll talk a little bit more about what I think. I feel very skeptical, to be honest with you, of a very tangible form of an afterlife. I believe in energy moving on. I believe in legacy and in memories. And I don't think that my dad is just dead and gone, buried in the ground, you know, never to even exist again. Like, I feel like his existence lives on, but I don't know how tangible that is. Meaning, I don't think I really believe in like tangible spirits that you can like see and talk to, but I don't know. And I reserve the right to change my mind on that because I don't know. I know people who you know, in all sorts of spiritual religious frameworks who believe in all sorts of things. And a lot of people believe in a more tangible form of an afterlife. And I'm really grateful for that because I hope that that's true. I I do hope that that's true. Do I hope that the Mormon version of that is true? Not really. Do I hope that the version that I think my dad believed in was true? Fuck yeah, I do. Because I think he believed in a very equitable, very inclusive form of heaven. And I hope that that's true. And I hope that that heaven exists and I get to be with him again. But I don't know. And like I said, I'm skeptical of it. I have not come to any conclusions about, you know, what I think or what I know or what I believe about death. But I found myself as I listened to my siblings speak and as I listened to my aunts and my grandpa and as I've talked to my mom and my stepmom, I find a lot of comfort in knowing that different people believe differently. I think it's really healthy and I found it really comforting to think that we're all making sense of this in very different ways and that's okay and that's good and I feel really grateful that I'm being given that ability and nobody, thank God, I think they know that they cannot do this and they shouldn't, but nobody has said to me, it's okay you'll see him again. Like nobody has dared try that shit on me because that would make me mad because I don't want to be told what to think and what to believe about something like this. But the fact that other people believe they get to see him again, I find really beautiful. And I find 
comforting. I'm grateful that we're all giving each other that time and that respect to make sense of it in very different ways. And I found myself feeling like I'm glad that people have different tools on the table to try and make sense of this. And obviously, that can get trickier, right? If people were going on about the plan of salvation and all that during his funeral, I would have been very triggered and very upset. But people didn't. And I'm just really glad. I'm glad that I think following kind of my dad's lead, people were able to talk about him with mentions of heaven and hope, but without this kind of like literal assumption. At least I felt like it. And even my grandpa, I think he referenced a few times that he believes my dad's with a heavenly father, a God figure right now, and that they're having fun and laughing. And he said some sweet things about that. And that didn't bother me either because it didn't, again, feel so literal. It just felt more like a hope and a really nice, a really nice hope, you know? Anyway, that's how I've been feeling about the religious element And then in the very logistical sense of using the building and having all that help, I have found myself feeling so grateful for the community and the support of Mormonism that Mormonism can provide and feeling like it's a little silly that there are some catches here and there and that there are some stipulations, you know, like the bishop had to approve the program, which is fine. We didn't have to give him our talks or anything, but just little things that You know, I just kind of think like, really, it just feels a little bit silly in light of something as significant and as complicated and varied as death. But it also is what it is. It's just been interesting to kind of witness those things come up and and think through them. And there was a part of me that did not want the service to be at a church. And then I tried to kind of put that not that part of me aside, but I tried to think about my dad and I just think that he wouldn't have been bothered by it. And I think he would have wanted us to have help and have support. And he relied on help and support from the church. And the church was such a big part of his life that it didn't feel like a betrayal to him, even though he wasn't active for a long time. It felt right and it felt okay. And for that reason, it also felt okay to me. Okay, I think I'm going to read what I read at my dad's funeral, and then I'll talk a little bit more about the belief thing with death and kind of how I've been navigating, if you know, you know, navigating that. So let me read what I read at his funeral. Some of my earliest memories are of my dad singing us to sleep while he played his guitar. It felt like every night he was there strumming and singing. Cat Stevens' Moon Shadow was my favorite song he would play, and he was so earnest as he sang each word. Those lyrics in his tired voice are locked into my memory forever, and they're the first words that come to me now as I rock my own twin girls to sleep. Later, it was the Killers, U2, and the Cranberries that were blasted from the car radio. It seemed to 10-year-old me like he knew every word to every good song ever written, I also memorized every word to those songs. I remember sitting in shotgun as a teenager and we started talking about a debate I'd had that day in my government class. He asked my opinion and then he kept pressing. Well, what about this situation? What about in this case? He helped me think through my stance and articulate my thoughts. I could feel that my opinion really mattered to him and he wanted to help me express it clearly because he knew my opinions and my words could matter a lot to the world too. When he lived states away while I was in high school, I'd send him my essays I was working on for English class, and he'd stay up late at night helping me work and rework them. I'd have to remind him they weren't really all that important anyway, but they were important to him. I wouldn't call him a man of many words, but the words he had to share were kind, encouraging, insightful, and wise. There was nothing like his words that could make me feel like I could actually change the world and that I really mean something. He cheered me on from near and from far. And sometimes the cheering was so enthusiastic, like the time he got upset with the umpire at my fifth grade softball game, who had apparently made a wrong call when I was up for bat, that I even had to ask him to tone it down just a little bit. 
Words continued to tether us together when our relationship was distant or complicated. When he was gone in rehab, I'd peruse the bookshelf next to his bedside. I found a marked-up copy of Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, and as I read it, I felt close to him and to his mind and his soul in a way that I didn't otherwise. When I was away in Germany on my mission, he wrote me religiously. He had done a mission in Germany, too, so we'd write sometimes in very broken German and swap our mission experiences. Every Monday, I could count on an email with doctrinal speculation, a beautiful scripture verse with some commentary, and mostly a lot of encouragement that I was doing a really good job when I needed that encouragement the most. I treasured this time in our relationship when it was just words that connected us in a way that felt a lot less complicated than sometimes real life did. Words last even after death, and I'm so glad for the legacy of words from my dad. His last text message to me, his favorite songs that I can't stop listening to, the literature we both read. In Slaughterhouse-Five, the book I found on my dad's bookshelf years ago, Kurt Vonnegut writes about aliens called Tralfamadorians who see time very differently than humans do. Rather than a sequential line, they see all moments in time as a vast expanse, like a landscape, where everything is present and you can choose which moments you want to visit. Vonnegut writes, when a Tralfamadorian sees a corpse, all he thinks is that the dead person is in a bad condition in that particular moment, but that the same person is just fine in plenty of other moments. Now, when I myself hear that somebody is dead, I simply shrug and say what the Tralfamadorians say about dead people, which is, so it goes. Because I'm not so sure what I believe about the afterlife anymore, I've found peace in this idea that my dad lives on in all the moments he was a part of and the moments that I think he still can be a part of. I think of all the things he said and wrote and did, and how much beautiful, complicated, rich life he got to live. And I like to think he can spend the rest of time visiting and revisiting those moments. And perhaps a favorite moment of his to visit will be sitting by my bedside and singing me quietly to sleep. I've been thinking a lot about that concept from Slaughterhouse-Five, which was my dad's favorite book, And my aunt also mentioned in her remarks at the funeral, his younger sister, Emily, she mentioned that she had been given a copy of Slaughterhouse-Five from my dad. And on the front cover, he had written a verse from Genesis, I think it was, or maybe Exodus. I can't remember which verse it was. I should have her send me a photo because she still has the copy of Slaughterhouse-Five with my dad's handwriting of the scripture verse he had written and she showed it to me and I love so much what that says about my dad that he loved Slaughterhouse-Five and that in Slaughterhouse-Five he wrote this bible verse like he was just a complicated man in this really rich and beautiful way that his favorite book had this ideology that was very much not Christian. And Kurt Vonnegut, I might get this wrong. I'm too tired to look it up, but I think he was a humanist. So he kind of believes that religion is silly. Like you shouldn't need religion to like help you be a good person or to uh, reward you for being a good person. So he's kind of like, not anti, but he's definitely not religious or I don't think pro-religion. Again, this is just from what I gather from his writing. But You know, my dad loved that book and loved the thoughts and ideas in it the same way I do, but he also wrote a Bible verse in the front cover when he gave it to my aunt, his sister, and I think that's really lovely, and I think a lot about the concept that Abby and I talked about in our episode, what's it called, Reformed Mean Girls for Jesus with Abby Benson Schwally. In that episode, she talks about the concept of theological fluidity, which I think really represents my dad. You know, just not needing to have labels for exactly what you believe or having exact certain beliefs and convictions, but being open to possibilities and being open to finding bits of truth and bits of life and bits of you know, things that feel right and real in all sorts of places, whether that's the Bible or in a Kurt Vonnegut science fiction novel. And I love that so much. I find myself, too, as I've been reflecting, thinking a lot about dogmas and how counterproductive it is to feel 
so certain about things, whether that certainty is in God or against God or in XYZ thought or against it, and just trying to really hold the space for nuance and for confusion and also for discovering new ideas and new thoughts that feel nice. You know, like that idea of time, the Tralfamadorian idea of time that Kurt Vonnegut writes about in Slaughterhouse-Five, it feels really beautiful to me. And do I literally believe that that's literally true? Probably not. But do I think that there's something about that that feels like it could be real in some sense? I do. And it feels nice to allow myself that and to allow myself that hope that there is a way that my dad lives on. It could be in all sorts of different ways. And I think it might be more complicated, but maybe even more beautiful and more, I don't know, just more more beautiful and more powerful than we can comprehend the ways that we live on Back to the whole spiel I started at the beginning, and this is probably where I will end, but just time and how all the cliches and the platitudes, I don't know if I used platitude right. What's a platitude? I don't want to look it up either. All the cliches really are true, and a death puts so much into perspective that I'm so grateful for. And of course, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to lose someone. And it's not it's not something that I would wish on anyone for these lessons that you learn. But I do feel like not only do you know, but you feel like deep in your heart and in your bones that time is so precious and that our relationships are so precious and that it's so much more simple than we make it out to be. I spend so much of my life really worried about things that in light of death just don't matter, that really don't matter. And I'm a practical person and I like to give myself the allowance of knowing that, you know, you got to make a buck, you got to get through, you got to make some money and you got to take care of yourself. And, you know, it's not a reality that we can all go live on the commune that I wish we could and just think and write and talk and experience life. You know, there's things you got to do, but just trying to tap into more the everyday beauty of life and of family and of everything. Having my twins has been such a gift in this time as well. Take a shot every time I say gift. You'll be very drunk by now, but it has been a gift because they are so, children are such a grounding presence. Like my dad died, but my girls still need to eat and they still need their diapers changed and they still need to be put to bed at the same time. And it's hard to take care of them when I just want to (laughs) sleep and I just want to turn off the lights and shut the door and sleep for two months But it's also such a good constant reminder that life goes on and not in the sense of, well, life just goes on, but life is all around and children just embody life so beautifully. And even at the funeral, my girls kind of flipped out when the services started. So my in-laws took them home, but they were there for the viewing and just to have the true tangible presence of death, a a dead body in the room, but to have my twins and my niece and Esty was there as well. Alex um, brought Esty, Alex and Kylie are good friends. Just having little kids, just like running around and dancing to the song that my dad's um, slideshow of his life was put to. It's just really nice to have that as well. And it's not only children that bring that, of course, but it's something I found myself feeling really glad in this phase of life that I have my children. And to watch Bentley take care of them is also such a gift because there is a mourning that I'm feeling with my dad of mourning not only the relationship I had with him, which was so precious and special, but also the relationship that I didn't get to have with him because of all those factors that I've mentioned. And watching Bentley take care of my girls and knowing that they're going to get 
that is so healing. And not only knowing that they're going to get that, but knowing that my dad would want nothing more than for me to be married to someone who is giving to my children what he wished he could have, but didn't in some ways give to me. I'm so appreciative of that and of watching that relationship between my girls and Bentley. It's been really lovely and something that just means more to me than I could ever say. So many thoughts and feelings. It kind of just causes me, has caused me, continues to cause me to just look at so many aspects of life and so many aspects of just everything. Like, I just feel like I'm thinking and feeling on steroids. Like, it's just been crazy. And so, like I said, it's really nice to kind of come on here and get these thoughts out of my head and into the world. And I know that it's going to feel really healing to feel heard and to feel connected. Girls Camp has been such a means of connection for me. And I really need that. And I'm just really glad that I have this platform to share my thoughts and feelings and find people who connect. It is really a gift. (laughs) Take another shot, but it is really a gift. So the cliches are true when it comes to death in a lot of ways, and I'll be working in real time through a lot more of my thoughts and feelings about death and grief and the afterlife and all of those things. But thank you for letting me share that for now. Thank you for all of you who have reached out and who have expressed condolences. My house right now just smells like a floral shop. It just smells like flowers from people who have brought flowers, people have brought food, and our fridge is just full of food and of love. And as I said in last week's episode with Lucy, you don't need the Mormon community, right? I have benefited from it, and I'm very grateful, again, that we were able to, but I've just been held by friends and by family, and you don't need to be a Mormon to be held in that way, and that's been nice to be reminded of, too. I will end very quickly on a very practical note, which is I'm just going to see how I feel. I was planning on not releasing an episode this Wednesday, but I wanted to, so I am. I maybe will be taking a break. I would probably take a couple weeks max and just start back up in January, but I don't know. I might not be wanting to. So thank you also for giving me space to take that break if needed and also to keep going if it feels nice. I will obviously let you know, but stay tuned and thank you so much again for listening. It means a lot. I love you. Thanks for being a camper. Thanks for hanging with me through all the ups and downs and the roller coaster of this year. What a way to end the year. And I'm appreciative that you've been with me through a lot of things. Sending love, sending care, and I'm glad that we can do it together. Bye. G.I.